The author of the Book of Kings, in today's first reading, gives us a concise image for the entirety of the Christian life. Elijah is journeying to the holy mountain of God, Horeb, or Sinai, where Moses received the law. It is a tiresome journey through the desert during which Elijah is continually reduced to the point of exhaustion and lays down. But twice an angel appears to him with food and urges him to go on until he can reach the holy mountain. Elijah's journey is representative of our life. The holy mountain is heaven. The Christian life is often a tiresome journey where we can become beat down either by the efforts we must make in order to become holy like God, or because of the attacks of the world. But the church appears before us like an angel and offers us the medicine of the sacraments, particularly the Holy Eucharist, to strengthen us and to make us willing to continue the journey. That's really a homily in itself. The church is God's instrument to assist us in the journey each must make toward heaven. And so long as we receive the medicine of the church, we will be capable of completing this journey. And this is underscored by our Lord's own promise of the Eucharist in the gospel that we heard this evening. I am the living bread that came down from heaven, says the Lord. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. Each time that we find ourselves in a place of weakness, we ought always remind ourselves and return to the Eucharist. Indeed, even in our strongest moments, when we need the spiritual, we need the spiritual food to nourish us in order to face the difficulties that will no doubt lie ahead. Now, while I could certainly end here, and I'm sure many of you would desire that I did, there is something more that we need to discuss. And surprisingly, it is not the reality of the Eucharist. The Eucharist is, of course, the center and summit of our faith and the greatest of all sacraments. But I wish to momentarily turn our glance to a less often considered figure in Elijah's journey, the angel. The sacred author records only one line from the angel's lips. Get up and eat, else the journey will be too long for you. I imagine that while Elijah was happy, not once but twice, to be given a free meal in the desert, he probably was not as comforted to hear the angel's command, get up. But this was the angel's mission, to ensure that Elijah completed his journey and didn't give up. Likewise, it is the mission of the church to continually see us in the bitterness of our own failings when we are most beat down and to say to us, get up, else the journey will be too long for you. Sometimes this is a welcome message. We can become discouraged in our own sinfulness, and we need to know that we are forgiven and loved by God. The church is there for that, to give us the sacrament of penance and reconciliation, to confirm God's love for us in the Holy Eucharist. But sometimes the command of the church may not be as welcome to us, either because we really do wish to give up, or, regrettably, because the church herself is the cause of our discouragement. And this might be because of simple things. We have become dissatisfied with preaching, or the lack of parish life, or the music, or the air conditioning, 
Or it may be because we see the church sending a mixed message. We don't understand her doctrines, or we think they compete, or are outdated. We see the arguments and the bickering that occur amongst her members and her clergy. Or worse still, we see the sinful acts of her members. Indeed, even the sinful and sometimes criminal acts of her priest. And so when we hear her tell us, get up, we ask ourselves, who are you to speak to me? On what authority can you tell me how to be holy? See the sinful and the wicked deeds which you yourself are guilty. That's certainly a sentiment in recent years, even, sadly, in recent days, if you've been listening to the news. And certainly, there are a lot of questions out there. Why do these sort of things keep happening? How could the church allow this? How could some few priests be guilty of terrible evils, some few bishops, a cardinal, even? To be entirely honest, these are my own questions as well. How could the church, whom I love, whom I know loves me and wishes to urge me on towards salvation, how could such darkness exist within her as well? How could this betrayal happen, be allowed to happen? And that discourages me. That makes me want to lie down beneath the broom tree as Elijah. I had a conversation with a friend a few days ago, speaking not directly about these scandals, but about some actions of priests. And during the conversation, I asked him if he and his wife could pray for their priest and for other good priests that they know. You know, people are very quick to often complain about their priest. And this is not to excuse the criminal actions of some priest. We're going to return to that in a second. But people are quick to become upset at priests. How often do they pray for good priests? We pray often in this parish for an increase in priestly vocations. But surely you would agree with me that we need more than warm bodies. We need good priests. I remember my first year in seminary, I was visited by a priest in this diocese who told me that if I wasn't dedicated to becoming a good priest, he didn't want me to become a priest at all. And that stuck with me. We need good priests, not mediocrity. But priests often don't get the support they need, and I'm not talking about their pay or how well they're fed. There's a good number of priests that could be fed less. I'm talking about encouragement, love, and most of all, prayer. But why do priests need their people to pray for them and to love them? Because the enemy, our enemy, God's enemy, hates them. He hates every holy priest because the priests exist to bring you to God. That is his purpose. Each day he goes up to the altar so that he can descend with God in his hand to give to you. St. John Vianney writes, When people wish to destroy religion, they begin by attacking the priest because where there is no longer any priest, there is no sacrifice. And where there is no longer any sacrifice, there is no longer religion. This is even more true in regard to the enemy's own desire to destroy the priesthood. And so he makes every attack he can. 
He causes internal bickering. He encourages a spirit of careerism in some priests, making them more focused on climbing ladders than serving people. And in some regrettable but not excusable few, he leads them to such a darkness that they find themselves capable of terribly wicked and sinful deeds. All of this is done because if you can hurt the shepherd, you make a terrible attack on the sheep. And the blow has been dealt. The sheep are scattered, and the church... The priesthood in today's world is terribly wounded. But you and I, and Father Bill, and Father Frank, we need to reach the mountain of God. The truth of the matter is that regardless of how many attacks the enemy will make on the church, regardless of how much pain the church will face in cleaning out this mess, and it must be cleaned out, the enemy can never take the Eucharist away from us. Jesus Christ, hidden beneath this most sacred mystery, is a gift for the life of the world. His promise will always remain, and therefore we must stand firm and not be discouraged. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, says the Lord. Each day, the same bread of life descends from heaven into the hands of sinful men, so that they may be turned from their sins and return to God. This is the source of our encouragement. Get up, says the church. Get up and eat this bread which came down from heaven. This sacrament has for centuries been the only hope of so many martyrs, and it is our hope as well, now and always. I'm going to conclude this evening with a quote from the German Catholic philosopher and author Joseph Pieper. He writes, What would appear as problematical and not spiritual enough to those sitting unperturbed at their desk has in fact shown itself ever anew to be a truly comforting and healing reality indeed, the only enduring and supporting reality to countless people in the extremes of their existence, to prisoners of totalitarian regimes, to those facing certain death, to those in their final agony who are no longer looking for any human encouragement, any spoken words, any sermons, but for the very reality of God in the sacrament of bread.